Amen. How about bowing your heads right there? Father, thank you so very much for already what you've done in our hearts. I thank you very much for the worship, Father, that we've experienced and uh, for the song that Rachel just shared with us and her heart that she shared with us. And Father, as we now dive into your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we know you're everywhere. We, we get that. We understand that. So in some ways, it's a strange prayer, but we just pray you'll just permeate this, this place and these hearts. And Father, help us to um, grasp the truth of your word today. It's desperate, Father. These are desperate times, and this is strong truth for these desperate times. Um, but the enemy doesn't want us to do that. He, he wants us to miss this. So I want to pray that that just won't happen. You won't let it happen today. That you will rivet our hearts and our minds um, in this place, in this hour, for this moment. And we look forward to seeing what you're going to do. In Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, once again, worship was incredible. I want to thank David for once again tying the songs in so well uh, for the theme of the message. And for Rachel listening to the Holy Spirit. And uh, what a great song. That was a shoot that thing song. There you go. Shoot that thing song. It was just awesome and incredible. It ties in so much to what we're going to talk about. Well, today's verse um, comes to, to us from Linda Guest. It's one of the verses that she submitted. We're in favorite things, by the way, in case you've missed that somewhere along the journey. And favorite things is we're taking favorite verses from some of our folks here at Doorsville, our fa- their favorite verses, and then we're taking it from our favorite book, which is the Word of God, and we're teaching through based on those verses and asking God to show new truths to favorite verses that we have. And that's very appropriate for today because the scripture today that Linda submitted to, to us, to, to me to teach, was, was really good because it's normally it was like Christmas decorations. You know, everybody loves Christmas decorations, at Christmas time. But what they do is, when you're along about three days after Christmas and shortly about a week after, you box them dudes up and you put them away in the attic and you really don't think about it again until the next Christmas season comes along. And then you drag them out and you're all excited about them again. Well, this particular verse is often uh, pushed away to funeral homes. Okay, uh, sometimes hospitals, but usually funeral homes. It's a, it's a set of verses that really we don't think about much until someone dies and then out it comes like our favorite Christmas decorations and it's Christmas again. Well, out comes this scripture. And the, and the crazy part is it's a wonderful scripture, not just for funerals and not just when we're sharing Christ with someone, but it really is a powerful truth for day to day living. And so today, I really hope that you'll just take your pen and paper. I don't ever ask you to take notes, but get your pen and paper. I'll just write a few things down. There's some, something I'm going to say that I'm quoting someone else. That I really, I've shared it five times this week already. Couldn't, couldn't keep quiet about it. It's just something I just had to share because I think it's so powerfully um, true. Now, the reason this scripture is so powerful is because of the circumstances that, that we live in today, but really not just us, because it was so appropriate for the guys. Now, I know you've heard me say this probably before, but I haven't even told you the scripture yet, although it might be on the screen, I don't know. But anyway, um, uh, you know, it, it was so appropriate for them because the guys who followed Jesus, there were 12 of them, and they followed Jesus for three years. And basically, he walked up to them and said, hey, I want you to follow me. Now, 
To us, following Jesus kind of means like going to church on Sunday. That's, that's kind of like following Jesus to us. And believe me, it's much more than that. That's kind of how we are. But for them, it meant this. It meant selling out. Literally, it meant you know, hocking their boats and their nets and whatever else they had. Um, in Matthew's case, leaving a very lucrative job, a very rich job, to and, and packing it all up, packing it all in, and following Jesus. Okay? So that's what they did. And they did on the pretext. Actually, there are two pretexts. One is they, they, they knew, they discovered, and they thought, and then they knew that he was the Messiah. That, that there were Jewish boys, and, and they had been taught from like the time they were this big, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. And the Messiah would be the redeemer, would be the rescuer, would be the one who would overthrow all the oppression and set the Jewish people free. And, and they looked at this guy named Jesus and said, you're him. You're him. It took them a while to get there. They, they thought it, and then they knew it. They just knew it. You're him. You're him. But they also had this preconceived notion that, that he was going to literally overthrow the Roman government. So what would happen is, when they overthrew the Roman government, Israel was going to need a king. And the king was going to be Jesus, okay? And because they were his, his, you know, his, his posse, uh, his homeboys, his close ones, he was going, they're all going to be princes and they're all going to have these high ranking positions and, you know, around the kingdom. It's going to be a great deal. Jesus was going to be king. They were going to have all the positions of authority and all the sacrifice was going to be worth it. And then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem and die. And boy, that's not what they were expecting. They didn't sell their boats, as Miss Linda likes to say. Linda, Paul says, you know, I didn't sign up for that, you know. And they didn't. In their mind, it was a win-win deal. They followed Jesus. He becomes rich and wealthy and powerful, and so do they. And I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And that shattered their world. And by the way, it's true of us, isn't it? Some preacher promised you the rainbow. Just follow Jesus and everything's going to be fine. Just follow Jesus and every time you pray, boom. If you're sick, you're healed. If you're poor, you're rich. Boom. And it didn't turn out that way, did it? And you got your bubble busted real quick. Real quick. Well, it got worse. Because just just the verses preceding where we're at today, which is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, the verses preceding that, okay, he goes, now guys, one of you is going to betray me. (laughs) One of you is going to sell out to the enemy and turn me over to the enemy. And, you know, they kind of got a cryptic answer about who it was, but the bottom line was, in this tight-knit group of people, there was a betrayer. And it got worse. Because Peter was kind of like one of the head guys. Peter, James, and John was the inner circle. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, And by the way, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three times before the night's over. No, Jesus, I will never deny you. These other guys might, but I never will. It got worse and worse and worse. The idea of them being princes, out the door. The cohesion of the group out the door. Denying Christ? Impossible. All that went out the door. It's kind of like our world, isn't it? Let me give you a little rundown of our world. Was it two and a half weeks ago 
that two precious middle schoolers and their mother died in a tragic fire? Was it just a week or so ago that, just right down the road, in a place called Marshall County, Kentucky, that two kids went to school and didn't come home? Was it just earlier this week that 15 kids in Florida went to school and two teachers went to work and they didn't come home? Do we not have a, a young missionary serving in Nicaragua who really kind of took it from nothing, was trying to build a ministry, trying to minister to kids, and on Facebook we learned that he has kidney cancer, which good old optimistic Dwayne says, well, you know, it's really treatable. They take the kidney out, and if it's contained, you're done. So they got the kidney out, and I said, you're done. You're good. And then they find four spots on his lung. On his lung. The kidney cancer had metastasized, traveled, journeyed to the lung. And it gets worse because then they say, no, you have lung cancer now. It's stage four lung cancer. And someone's got to be saying, wait a minute. If, if God is so great and so good and so powerful and all these, if he's the great Oz, why in the world? I, I get, you know, the world's not perfect, but the guy's doing Jesus' work and he's got stage four cancer now? What's up with that? Perhaps you're here today and in, in, in your world a little bit closer. Maybe there's a child that you've got and that child is chronically ill. Maybe terminally ill. Maybe not someone in this room, but someone on the radio. In your world, you pray for this child and you ask God to bless this child and you find yourself in this situation. Or maybe, maybe you had a job and, and all of a sudden, through, through something to do with the government or somewhere, or some guys decided that the business wasn't going to stay here in Southern Illinois anymore. And all of a sudden, you've got three kids, a wife, and no job. Maybe there's some dream that you've had about your life, and you're realizing you're 55 years old, and that dream is never going to come true. Maybe you married your Prince Charming. As I said one time not too long ago, Prince Charming turned out to be a toad. And you're finding yourself a single mom or a single dad raising some kids while your partner's out joyriding and having the time of his or her life. And that's our world. You don't need to be a pastor and hear people talking to your ear. You just need to look around and see that's our world. And that's why Jesus said it. He looked at those still 12 guys. He looked at them and said, Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I mean, I think Jesus obviously could look in their eyes and see the hurt and see the disappointment, the, mis- the, uh, the fact they couldn't understand, the confusion, the confusion. That he, he could look in their eyes and see that confusion and go, oh, wow, listen, guys, wait, 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 wait. Let not your heart be troubled. And maybe he could look in your eyes today and he would see the confusion. And 
He would tell you, let not your heart be troubled. And his, his answer to that, the reason why he says that, really sounds good. Preachers are great. And Christians are really good at throwing verses out. Like, you know, there's a verse for everything. And Jesus throws out and says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And one of the commentaries I was saying, it's not like, since you believe in God, you ought to believe in me too. It's a command. It's imperative. And, and Jesus looks at these guys and says, okay, now, you're good Jewish boys. I know you believe in God. Now, in spite of these circumstances, I'm commanding you, I'm commanding you to believe in me too. The same way. The solution is. And you know, if the truth is, if we had the answer we were looking for, wouldn't that be easy? If, if Jesus said, change of plans, I'm not going to Jerusalem, I'm not going to die, let's go get the Roman soldiers and wipe them out, I'll get the throne, you'll be the princess, everything's going to be okay. And we all go, yeah, believe in God. I believe in you, Jesus. But he doesn't change the circumstances. He just says... Believe in God and believe in me. And, and it says, I want you to understand what he's saying. He's calling them to a, to a put your weight in belief. To put your weight in. To put your trust in belief. And that's what he calls us to. In our broken, broken world, this messed up world, he says, believe in God, believe in me. Put your weight in me. Put your trust in me. And that would be like way easy if every time the story turned out right. But the truth is the story doesn't always turn out right like we want it to. And that's the difficulty. That's the problem. Judy stumbled into a a, uh, devotion. And this is the part I've shared probably five times this week. Um... Her name is Tammy Lohman, and I'm not sure what... I know she's a writer, she does blogging stuff, but it came from the North American Mission Board. Um, through them is how she posted, this was posted. And, and she shared it immediately with her refit. She shared it with me, then she shared it with her refit class, and again, I've shared it with several of you already. But, but in, this, in this devotion, she quotes a guy um, named Tim Keller. Now, I, I'm going to read what Tim said And then I want to just kind of break it down for us and put it in Dwayne's words and really to the application of this message. Here's what. Now, listen, this is is the thing you need to write down. Okay. Tim Keller defines worry as not believing God will get it right. Now, let that soak in. Tim Keller defines worry as not believing God will get it right. Now, I would say it this way because I think it says it's simpler. Worry is the fear that God won't get it right. Worry is the fear that God won't get it right. Now think about that. That is like way big in our lives. We really worry that God won't get it right. We, we're weak in our faith and our trust that God will get it right. 
Now, to bring it home to us now in this context of let not your heart be troubled, let me say this. A troubled heart is the fear that God won't get it right. A troubled heart is the fear that God won't get it right. Now, now Tammy, in this devotion, uses Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33... And she's talking about, Rachel, your psalm is so appropriate, talking about fear and, and worry. And, and now again, let me just, and again, I do not think I'm, I'm moving outside the bounds of Scripture to do this. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 31 says, so don't worry. Isn't that very similar to, isn't that very similar to what we just heard? You know, let not your heart be troubled. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, he words it this way, don't worry. Don't worry. And I, I think without being... Being outside of scriptures, we could say, you know, Jesus could likewise said, you know, don't have a troubled heart about these things. Don't worry about these things and don't have a troubled heart about these things. Because trust me, worry is a troubled heart. They're on the same plane. And by the way, worry causes heart trouble. It's a troubled heart. But it causes heart trouble. And, and Jesus goes on and says, don't worry. Don't have a troubled heart about these things. You know, like, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? Things that are valid concerns, it would seem. And then he says this. These things dominate. I love this word. I'm not even sure what translation it says. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, like it is like totally natural for a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who is not in relationship with God, okay? Yeah, there's a God out there, but there's no relationship. It's totally normal for that person to have a troubled heart because they have no hope. They're in a hopeless situation. You know, it's normal. It's normal for a person who doesn't know God to have no relationship with God to worry about where am I going to eat, what am I going to drink, what where. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's what Jesus said. But he says this, but. And whenever God says but, we need to listen. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Before a prayer is whispered, before a thought is given, before a worry is worried, before a trouble is troubling, he already knows your needs. How about that? And there's a hint here of the big picture of this message. Do you see it? Your heavenly Father. See, the Jewish guys did not have any concept of, Jesus, of God as Father. I mean, you won't find it in the Old Testament. There's like six times they use it. And the nation as a whole kind of calls God Father. But this was a new concept. Your Heavenly Father. God of the universe can be your Heavenly Father. He can be your Daddy. He can be the one who genuinely cares for you. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows all your needs. And then Jesus seek. The kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. Follow his path. And he will give you everything you need. Seek first. Seek first. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't let your heart be troubled. Seek first 
the kingdom of God. And by the way, just in case you haven't, you haven't remembered this yet, the, the kingdom of God is the rule of God. In simplest form, that's how. It's the rule of God. In simplest form, Brent's in us. The, the kingdom of God within us is the rule of God within us. In other words, hey, God, you're king and I'm not. Hey, God, you're God and I'm not. So seek the kingdom of God. Seek the rule of God. Don't let your heart be troubled. Seek the rule of God in your life. And, and above everything else, and, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now here's, we're not, we're not past the problem yet. Now this is where Tammy Lohman speaks. And again, her words are very powerful. Listen to these words. I think I know what needs to happen. Can I have an amen there? Most of us, at one time or another, think we're smarter than God. I think I know what needs to happen. Tom Seipel, the missionary in Nicaragua, just needs to be healed. God, hey God, this is a no-brainer. Your man on the ground in Nicaragua has got stage 4 cancer. Kids need to be saved. No-brainer, God. Heal Tom. Hey, God, I don't know what your solution for this gun problem is in America, but you need to implement it. By the way, it's not a gun problem. It's a sin problem, just in case you didn't know that. I think I know what needs to happen. Complete with a happy ending with very little pain or discomfort for me and those I love. I think I know what needs to happen. Complete with a happy ending and very little pain or discomfort for me are those I love. Would that, is that not how we would write the book? Is that not how we would write the story? Hey God, happy ending, no pain or little pain, little discomfort for those I love and for myself. She goes on and says this. I am confident God will provide everything I need. That's not her issue. I am confident that God will provide everything I need. That is not my fear. Instead, I am afraid God will not provide everything I want. Shoot that. Isn't that our wrestling with God? Yeah, God, I know you've got the need thing down. What about my want thing? I'm wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with that. And that's the crux. We want God to put a bow on every package. We want God to put a bow on every package. We want every situation to be neatly gift-wrapped the way we see it, and then put a bow on the end, our happy ending, with very little pain or discomfort for me or for those that I love. And the truth is, truth is, that... When that doesn't happen on earth and it causes us some consternation with God, okay, conflict with God, all of a sudden this, these, it, it robs, it robs John 14, one of its power. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It robs that power, you know. We fail to see there's a lot more going on. And that's where I want to spend the rest of my time. There's a lot more going on. In, in the second verse of John chapter 14, here's what Jesus says. He says, in my father's house 
are many mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. So, so all of a sudden now, Jesus, first off, he gives us the hint in Matthew about your heavenly Father. But now he gives a bigger picture. He says, in my Father's house or, or in my Father's home are many mansions. Now, I'm an old King James boy. And I've been, I was raised on King James, and that, that's what's in my head. In my father's house are many mansions. And I've been from the south, I've got the Annabella mansions, you know, everywhere in heaven. There's my big white columns, there's my big circular drive, you know, I've got it in my brain. If you're from New York, maybe it's a big apartment, a condo, a six-bedroom condo on Fifth Avenue. If you're from California, maybe it's a big, big house on the bluffs of Malibu. That's how we think it. But it really doesn't fit. I mean, I would spend all the time on the phone in heaven saying, Hey, do you want to come to my house? Hey, you want to come to my mansion tonight? Hey, Judy, we were married on earth. you want to come to my house? No, I've got somebody coming over already. That does not sound like fun. That's why most translations get it where it says, In my father's house are many rooms. Some say dwelling places. And the idea is that we have a dwelling place with God. With God. A room. You know, my kids don't get it. Okay, but when I was a kid, we had like a two and a half bedroom house and we had, you know, eight kids, you know, and and at Christmas time, everybody would come over to mom and dad's house. And it was crazy because we slept on the floor. We slept on pallets. We on the breezeway, of course, it's Florida, so it wasn't bad. But but we put people everywhere. And, and the answer was, well, why would you, the question, why would you leave your big, comfortable bed to go to somebody's house and sleep on the floor? And the answer was family, relationship. We did it because we were together. And that's the beautiful thing about heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. We're family. We're together with God in this place called heaven. So, so when he says, in my father's house are many mansions, I want to give you a quick picture of what that might look like. You know, there's a saying, there's a, a saying that goes, you know, yes, home is a place, but home is where the heart is. Home is where the heart is. And I want to tag that in and let you see that, yes, home is heaven, but home, in a way, can be here, too. I know this might be confusing. Stay with me until I finish that out, okay? Home is heaven, but home can be here, too. You know, there's a, there's a song, and I'm still not sure if this fits or not. Let me know if, once you hear these words, if you think it fit the message. I'd never heard it before. It's an Elvis Presley song from the movie Kid Gal- Galahad. Galahad, is that right? One of the young ones. One of the young ones. You know, he was good-looking young, you know. And, and he sings this, and it really is a good song. The words go like this. Home is where the heart is, and my heart is anywhere you are. Anywhere you are is home. I don't need a mansion on a hill that overlooks the sea. Anywhere you're with me is home. And the course goes, For home is where the heart is, and my heart is anywhere you are. Anywhere you are is home. It's a great love song. And it could really speak to our love relationship with God. So, so when Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions, many rooms, what does that look like? Well, it looks like heaven. 
It looks like heaven. I so appreciate, you know, when, when um, Dave grabbed Revelation chapter 22, I want to grab Revelation 21. Now, before you think I'm getting old and senile, I know I used this verse last week. Okay, so don't come up and say, did you know you used that scripture last week? Sure did. <laughs> I did it on purpose. Sure did. Okay, now listen to this. Listen, 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 listen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. If you're taking notes, write down, they were messed up. Do I need any further commentary? We live in a messed up world. God didn't create it messed up. We messed it up. When sin came in, it got messed up. And it's not going to get any better. The sea was no more. Verse 2. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, Now watch. Prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. It's almost like John is without words. He can't find the words to describe this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Okay? They wrote a song titled, I Can Only Imagine. Because that's all we can do is imagine how great and how wonderful it's going to be. Verse 3. Then I saw, a, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. Sounds like heaven to me. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Now, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The tear of death, he will wipe away. The tear of loneliness, he will wipe away. The tear of failure... He will wipe away. The tear of the empty, empty womb, he will wipe away. The tear of the empty arm, he will wipe away. The tear of the broken heart, he will wipe away. I'll say it now, I'm going to say it in just a moment again. You know that bow you're looking for? It's coming. The bow you're looking for? It's coming. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death. Death will be no more. Somebody say amen. Like David said when he read that scripture, you know, that one's good. Death will be no more. Wow. Randy Reed is out of business. Bye, Mike Warwick. Don't need you either. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Sounds like heaven to me. And when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, many dwelling places, many mansions, he's saying those things. That's the place He's preparing for us. He goes on and says in verse 5, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. God is in the bow business, folks. And that thing that turned out so poorly on this earth, 
He'll put a bow on it in a place called heaven. If you could just imagine with me, you know the old song, tie a yellow ribbon on the old oak tree. It's been two long years. Do you still love me? And the song goes and says, not one, but a hundred yellow ribbons on the old oak tree. Just imagine with me. A field full of broken dreams, all made right. Lost loved ones made right. Sickness made right. Imagine with me a sea in heaven of bows. And he'll make it right in his way and his time in a place called heaven. I don't know how he's going to figure it all out. But I trust him. I'm asking you to trust him. Let let your mind see the sea full of bows. And rest. Believe in God. And Jesus Christ. Well, not only is there that. Because I told you home is a place called heaven. But home is here. Dwayne, how, what are you saying? Let me let, this, let me let the hymn writer say it for me. A lot of you young folks won't get this hymn. I understand that. That's okay. You'll get the words. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before you near to the heart of God. I'm trying to say while we're waiting on heaven, we can be near the heart of God today. While we're waiting on heaven, we can be near the heart of God today. I kind of wonder if that's what David had in mind in Psalm 23 when he said, The Lord is my shepherd. Because when you get near the heart of God, you're going to find what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. When you're near the heart of God, when you live near the heart of God, you're going to find that that something you're looking for, that completion you're looking for. You may even find that bow through God's eyes that you're looking for. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. There's no lack. There's no fear. He renews my life. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty took a great fall, and all the king's men could not put old Humpty Dumpty back together again. But God comes in our broken world and pieces our lives back together near to the heart of God. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. He leads me along the right paths for his name. Isn't that incredible? There's heaven, but there's now. And this loving, loving Father wants you to crawl up in His lap and be near His heart. And that's the bow for now. That's the bow for now. Whether there's an empty arm or empty womb or broken marriage, crazy tragedies, He just wants to put His arms around you. He wants to love you. 
wants to love you. Well, Jesus goes on and says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And that's so good. When the time comes, he'll come. When the time comes, he will come. You know, you remember the story, and some of y'all will, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were in the fiery furnace, and, and the king who threw them in there goes, Hey, 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 did we throw three guys in the fire? Looks to me like I see four. And he's like the Son of God. You know, when Jesus says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Sometimes... You'll sense his presence so real in the fire. It's almost as if you could reach out and touch him. Touch him. Or maybe, maybe you're in a, the storm. Maybe you're in the fight of your life and the storm is big and the waves are coming into the boat and you're so filled with fear. And you look across the waves and you see something and you're going, am I seeing ghosts? And Jesus will say, be a good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be surprised when God shows up in your fires. Don't be surprised when God shows up in your storms. Because that's just what he does. And sometimes, sometimes he puts the fire out, but sometimes he gives us the grace to go through the fire. And and sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms the child in the storm. But he comes. And when it comes time for the last heartbeat, he'll come. When you're facing the death of a loved one, and that loved one knows Christ... You mark it down. He'll be there. If it's you facing death, maybe you're on the radio and you know you don't have a lot of days left. You need to know. He'll come. And In 2 Corinthians 5, 6, Paul says, Therefore, we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body or we're absent from the Lord. Well, we know that. While we're home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. But I'm confident and say, I'm willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And Paul says, I'm willing to be absent so I can be present. In other words, we can't be here and there at the same time. So when we're not here, as a child of God, we're there. I don't know if Jesus personally shows up and will take my hand, but I know this, someone will be there to greet me. It may be an angel, I don't know. But I know Paul's done this, to be absent from the body is to be present with God. There's no soul sleep. There's no wandering. There's no purgatory. There's no going, what's next? Absent from the body. Present of the Lord. Last heartbeat. First, first, first heartbeat in eternity. Shoot that thing. Tell you what. You can face death when you believe the word of God like that. You can face the unknown when you know the one who holds it. And that's our God our God. So when he says, I will come again, he will. He will. 
And I ain't got a lot of time, and I'm probably going to open more buckets than I've got time to, to fill and empty. But we've got to talk about First Thessalonians 5.16, because the Bible says Jesus Christ is coming back. There is a possibility that someone in this room will not see death because they're going to see the rapture. It could be all of us. It could be some of us. I'm talking about age. Someone here two or three years old may, may get to see the rapture. Someone 64 years old may get to see the rapture. We don't know. When he's coming, I just know this, he's coming. He's coming. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And that's the word rapture, to be snatched away. We are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another's, one another with these words. So when Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He will. He will. Look around the fire. Look around the storm. After the last heartbeat, or here he comes in the clouds. He will come. He will come. Then verse 4, he says, now where I go, you know, and the way you know. And, And Thomas was honest enough to say, Lord, we do not know where we're going. How can we know the way? He was only saying what the others were thinking. And Jesus said, this is probably a sermon in itself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, I am the way. Yes, I'm going to die. I know that didn't fit your plans. I know you had in your mind the Messiah that was going to rule Rome. But it's me. It's me. And I will. I will be your way, the truth, and the life. I will. It's, it's amazing truth. See, the gospel is narrow and broad. The gospel is narrow. Oops. Narrow and broad. It's narrow in this. There is one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. By, by admitting that we have sinned against a holy God, by turning from that sin and choosing to follow Christ. That's it. Okay? There are not many ways to roam. There's one road, and it's Jesus Christ. But it's also broad. Wait a minute, Dwayne, you said the broad, you know, the Bible says the broad way. Wait a It's broad because of whosoever will. There's one way, but everyone is invited on that way. White man, black man, doesn't matter. Big sinner. Little Baptist sinner. We're all invited. And Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, he said, I'll be your way in the truth and life for salvation. But I'll be your way in truth and life as you journey. And by rapture, by that last heartbeat, I'll still be your way, the truth, and the life. So if you're here today, and, and that's all like news, this whole thing's news to you. Okay? Um, I want you to know this, that, that God loves you very much. So much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a Roman cross similar to this. 
And it was all about the, the payment for sin was death, and Jesus died for our sins. That's what it's all about. And so if you've never heard that truth and acted on that truth, I, mean, I want to invite you today. I want to invite you to come and take Brent by the hand and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus thing. Dwayne, a lot of things you said, I am a fearful person. Because I really, you know, one, you may say, I know where I'm going is hell. Or maybe you say, I don't know where I'm going. And we would love to tell you how Jesus Christ can make that crystal clear for you. By grace, through faith, believing in him. We would love to be able to do that. But a bulk of us have done that probably in this room. A lot of us have trusted Christ. But we're wrestling, aren't we? Aren't we like the lady at the beginning? I think I know what needs to happen, complete with a happy ending, with very little pain or discomfort for me or those I love. Aren't we like that? Aren't we the ones who would say, you know, you know, I fear, I fear that God won't get it right. I fear that. Why don't we just turn it over to him? Why don't we do the craziest thing since asking Jesus in our heart in the first place? Trust him with our lives. Trust him with a day by day by day by day life. Trusting him in his past. Even though there's not a bow. Even there's not a bow. You know, the words of the song that I was going to use um, like a week ago, and I, I, I drug them up last night. You know, it's called Come to the Table. I love it. You know, it doesn't even rhyme. The first verse doesn't even rhyme. Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you. And a friend who understands everything you've been going through. And the course goes, and bring it all to the table. Bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your fear, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior, and he calls it all he calls to bring it all to the table. Second verse goes this. But you keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame. There's a light of hope that's shining. Won't you come and take your place? Bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your fear, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior, and he calls bring it all to the table. Would you bring it to the table today? Would you bring your broken life, your fears, your sorrows, Bring it all to the table. Let's pray today. God, it is my privilege to share these truths today. Thank you so much for that privilege. Holy Spirit, I am asking you, I am begging you to speak to hearts today. Father, there's a, someone in this room today who's never trusted Christ. Oh, may today be that day. May today be that day they finally surrender and give it all to you. Father, for, for the me's in the room, for the me's, who sometimes don't get the bow we want and we're disappointed, the ones that sometimes think we're smarter than you and we know how it ought to end and we put a bow on it with no pain or no discomfort for those that we love or us. For those of us who are wrestling with trusting you, Lord, bring us to the table today. There's nothing you ain't seen before. You will not be surprised at our frailness. I'm so glad for that. I really am.
I'm glad you're not shocked at my frailty. Oh God, Holy Spirit, speak to hearts today. In Jesus we 